Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, wellstarthealth.com, wellstartcoach.com, and sick to fit. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an expansive and ecstatic life. Today's guest is Margot Freitag. She is a coach and she helps people transition to a plant based diet successfully and, most importantly, sustainably. She grew up in Northwest Ontario, which means that I have to sing a couple of lines of Neil Young. Helpless, helpless. That's enough. She suffered from asthma as a child and made constant trips to the emergency room throughout her childhood. As a teenager, she became a yo-yo dieter. She tried every variation she stumbled across in an attempt to lose weight. The apple-only diet, the don't-eat-for-a-week diet, the low-carb diet, etc. And one plan she tried allowed her to eat cheese, but not carrots, because, of course, sugar is evil. As luck would have it, her nutrition instructor when she went to massage school was none other than superstar dietitian Brenda Davis, who uh, kindly appeared in this podcast's 18th episode to talk about defeating diabetes and debunking paleo. And from Brenda, Margot learned that dairy was not her friend. In fact, within three days of ditching milk and cheese, both she and her then four-year-old son were symptom-free. And those puffers were quick, quickly related to the junk drawer, out of sight and out of mind. In addition to her own personal journey, we also explored her work as a health coach. She, uh, in the conversation, shares the three biggest dysfunctional mindsets that her clients are invited to change to pave the way for their success, as well as some of how she gets them to do so. So we had a little bit of a, uh, of a coaching mastermind. We also chat about how she gets clients to work with her horses. She has two Spanish Mustangs, and they help clients discover and shift their own limiting beliefs and ineffective strategies. So that was pretty cool as well. Those are some tools that uh, I do not yet have at my disposal, but sounds like fun. So before we get to the conversation, just a couple of quick things. Uh, one is a reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and paid for, supported funded by those who can't afford it. Mostly that's me giving of my own time, paying for my own hosting equipment. But there's also a cadre of supporters who are helping out. And we've reached the almost $700 a month level. And that's roughly a quarter of what it costs me in time and equipment and services 
to um, pay for this podcast every month. So if you would like to help out, if you are a listener, if you support the mission, I invite you to make an ongoing monthly contribution over at patreon.com. All those names that I say at the end of the podcast, those are people who are supporting it financially. And without them, really, there wouldn't be a podcast at this point. Um, but if I want to keep it going and keep growing it, I need more help. So if you're interested, you can go to patreon.com and just search for plant yourself or you can go to plantyourself.com and look for the Patreon button in the right sidebar. Either way, thank you so much for your help. Two other opportunities coming up. One is if you're interested in taking the Well Start Health program, the 12 week intensive to uh, change your own health destiny through changing habits and behaviors, we're offering a two week try before you buy period. So you can go to wellstarthealth.com slash program and read about it and then choose one of the sign up options. You do have to give us your all your information, including credit card. But uh, Pinky Square Scouts Honor, we will not charge it for two weeks. Um, so you have a chance to try it out for 14 days, see whether it's good for you, whether you like it, whether uh, you think it's a good fit. And if you do, then we'll charge the card and we'll continue on our way. If not, you just let us know. And no hard feelings. We part as friends and you can go take your money and spend it somewhere that would be more useful and generative for you. Again, that's wellstarthealth.com slash program. Finally, next week, we're starting the final coach training of 2019. If you're interested in becoming a kick-ass health coach, check out wellstartcoach.com. Dot com. You'll need to in the next couple of days, today's Tuesday, by, by tomorrow latest, um, register for an enrollment interview so that you and I can get on the phone and discover whether this is a good program for you at this point. All right, that's all I got. So without further ado, Margot Freitag, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so you're, you're located, you said north of Minnesota, and by... By my uh, my excellent education, that tells me Canada, right? That's <laughs> that's right. We're in northwestern Ontario. We're on uh, the northwestern shore of Lake Superior. Okay, I'll, I'll have to look that up. Um, so that there's like Neil Young songs about where you live, right? Right on, absolutely. He spent a little bit of time here back in the '60s, and I think this is where. Um, yeah, well, like the song says, we're stills met young, right? Okay, nice. Is is that really? I think so. I mean, that's the that's the story. Awesome. I was a baby at the time, so I I, I don't know for sure, but right. Well, uh, I'm going to spare everyone my Neil Young impression. <laughs> uh, but, um, so we're we're here to talk about um, the work you do helping people improve their health. Through through not just plant based nutrition, but you're also, uh, I guess, a, a, phys a physical exercise buff. Um, but let's yeah. let's just let's start with your story. Okay, so uh, I guess my story really starts way back in the early '70s when I was about um, well, I was just a kid, a little kid, and uh, I had asthma, really bad asthma, and my parents used to rush me to the emergency room regularly um, and what's interesting is in those days there was no Ventolin like there were no puffers mm. and so they just uh, take me to the emergency room and I would get a shot of Adrenaline norepinephrine uh -huh. 
arm. So what what did the asthma look like to you? Like what's the first, what's the earliest you can remember like having a a thing? It's really a panicky feeling. I mean, try holding your breath and see what that feels like. Mm. You know, it's uh it's really laboring to breathe and really struggling to breathe, and um, it's frightening. And it causes a lot of anxiety. And there's really nothing else that you can do except concentrate on breathing. I mean, it's hard to really focus on anything else in your life when you can't breathe. And, and so um, that kind of was a, a theme, right? As I got older and into my teenage years, um, I struggled. I struggled in school. I was always struggling to breathe. So I, it was hard to concentrate. I kind of had this mental uh, fog. And uh, obviously, everything that goes along with asthma, lots of allergies, uh, sinus issues, just inflammation in the body. And of course, I struggled with my weight as well. Uh-huh. So there's all of that. Uh-huh. So were, were you having the anxiety while you were struggling to breathe? Or I can imagine that if, if you never know what's going to trigger it when the next bout is going to occur, that there might be some you know, low grade continual anxiety, like just always looking over your shoulder for this thing. You know, it's a funny thing. I don't know about that. When I was really young, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember feeling particularly anxious. I do remember, um, you know, I was an animal lover. And uh, there were all these rules about me not having pets or anything like that. And, And so that was hard as a child. You know, I wanted to pick up everybody's cat and, you know, all of the rest of it. And I couldn't do that. So I do remember feeling, you know, I guess, limited in some ways hmm. uh, as a kid. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and you know, at that point, I don't th- I'm trying to remember what we knew scientifically about asthma and, and what of that knowledge had kind of made its way down to the medical establishment and, and beyond that. What do you remember, like what you thought was causing it? Well, we definitely knew that I had allergies. And I think that there was this uh, this idea that as long as my parents did everything like, you know, hyper cleanliness, we had cheesecloth over the, the vents where the heat came up. Um, there was there was lots of, you know, no um, fragrances and detergents and things like that. And definitely no pets. But what's really interesting is um, I do remember once having an asthma attack when we were visiting relatives in Montreal. And my parents took me to the emergency room there. And I'll never forget the doctor standing in the hallway. And the doctor came out of, I guess, the doctor's area where all of the doctors were gathered. And there was this big cloud of smoke. So, of course, this is in the 70s. All of the doctors would go into this room to (laughs) And I remember them all coming out and the doctor was holding a cigarette and uh, there's just like smoke billowing. And it was kind of I remember even then, you know, as a youngster thinking, oh, that's odd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And um, and so I don't know what they knew. Obviously, there were there's some gaps in, uh, you know, their understanding of lung health. But um, there was definitely an understanding that allergies played a role. Mm. So given, given the restriction on pets and the cheesecloth and the hypercleanliness, do you, do you feel like you were fragilized? Like, you know, that, that, that there, was some, there was something you needed to be protected from all the time? Did that, did that sort of like affect your self-identity? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think so. Uh, yeah, I felt less than limited. 
definitely felt limited. Um, and yeah, you know, my brother was a super athlete and I was kind of limited that way. There was a period of time where I was okay. It, it looked like, um, we, we lived in Australia for a year when I was about seven, eight and, um, I didn't have asthma that year. And so for years, my mother tried to figure out what it was. And of course, what we were doing that was different there was we were eating a lot of fresh fruit and a lot of vegetables. Interesting, right? And then we'd come back to Canada where everything was, you know, meat-centered and um, processed and, yeah, oh. less fresh fruits winters. Oh, that's so interesting that 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 the thing that was like sort of most in front of your face and obvious is the thing you would miss. Right. Isn't that interesting? Like, like, yeah. But I mean, nobody made the connection. There was just no food and lung health. That's just not a thing. Right. It just wasn't a wasn't a thing. So what sorts of things did, did she try to like recreate Australia? You know, one of the things was I was on the swim team there. And I was a competitive swimmer. Now, ironically, we know now that chlorine can play a role in, in uh, the development of, of lung disease and asthma. Um, but I, I didn't have the asthma when I was on the swim team. And so when we came back, I was on the swim team back here in Canada. And, um, you know, it, I don't really remember that period. I don't remember if it worked or if it was, you know, it definitely wasn't long term. By the time I was in high school, I was really struggling. Hmm. So. So at what age were you when these handheld devices became available so you could self medicate? Oh, yeah, I don't remember the exact um, year, but I'm going to say somewhere in the in elementary school, somewhere probably hmm. late elementary school, maybe grade six. Oh, I don't really know. Hmm. Howard. Well, that's, yeah, that's good enough. This, is, this isn't a deposition. <laughs> But I should know that. I should look that up. <laughs> so like, were, were you the only kid with an inhaler at that point? Or was it becoming more common? I, I remember being kind of the only one. You know, I didn't, it wasn't like today. I mean, now tons of kids have puffers, right? Right. And which is also really interesting. Um, I, I don't remember knowing other people with asthma at the time. Mm -hmm. No, it was just me. Yeah, I remember, you know, as a as a teacher and this was like the, you know, the mid to late 90s, you'd go on a field trip and you'd go around with a plastic bag and everyone would have their puffer with their name written on it and masking tape it would all go in the bag and then we'd hand them back yeah. out. It was like very, very common. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, um, definitely. When I, I recent, well, not recently, I guess uh, two years ago now I did a talk in an elementary school and I asked kids in the school, like everybody, the whole school came to the gym and I spoke and I asked to put the kids to put up their hand if they had experienced asthma. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say close to half of the kids put their hand up and said that they had asthma or they, you know, had experienced something like asthma or they knew somebody with asthma. So mm -hmm. super common. Yeah. So now I know from your, from your bio on your website that you uh, were very athletic. So like you didn't let this stop you, right? No, it's interesting when, um, 
you know, it gives you some sort of resilience and fortitude when you can't, when you're struggling to breathe. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know, you just do it, right? So um, I used my puffers, I had inhaled steroids, and I just kept going. So I, it was sort of like, yeah, I'm going for a run, and, and I had my puffer and in one hand and my Walkman in the other, and, and away I would go. And, I, yeah, I just kept going. And, in fact, I do think that in those days, fitness played a big role in me managing my, my asthma. So um, the more fit I was, you know, the stronger my lungs became and, and the better it was. Hmm. I, I love yeah. that idea that like, you know, like if you're running and it's a hard run and you're like, you know, this is nothing. I'm I can, you know, like compared compared to asthma, this is OK. Yeah, right. definitely. Right. You probably trained harder definitely. than a lot of other people. Yeah, well, it was definitely 100 percent effort all the time. So I tended mm -hmm. to do quite well, you know, in races and triathlons and that kind mm -hmm. of thing, which I know you're very familiar with. Right. Uh -huh. Well, I'm familiar with one third of triathlons, you know, the, <laughs> the bipedal third. <laughs> That's right, the bipedal third. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, and al along with the asthma, you know, I said because we we had uh, prepared to talk about this topic in particular, but were there other things going on that uh, you know, other, you know, other health issues or limitations or? You know, I think what's interesting is the the limitations were associated with weight. So I started to gain weight in my and you know around puberty, I guess. And so um, there was a lot of, of self limiting beliefs, right? So there were stories around my limitations that and that when you have a story that about your limitations, you you look for evidence to to support that, right? Mm. I think I did a lot of that. So it took a lot of well, it took a toll on my self-esteem um, and my confidence. I was the chubby kid with asthma, you know. Uh -huh. um, and yes, I think uh, I, I, there was more more of a belief that I couldn't do what um, maybe, especially my brother, who was this amazing athlete, what he was able to do. Um, and yeah, so th there was some some mental that was going on some definitely some belief systems that were developing at that time. Uh -huh. Yeah. And did you address the overweight through the athleticism and the training? Or like, were they going hand in hand? Were like, were you like a good athlete and heavy? Um, I was a uh... So I I became a real yo-yo dieter. It became a mental thing with me, an emotional thing with me. Um, and so I was, so, you know, exercise helps, but really weight loss isn't about so much about exercise as it is about the food, right? right. So, um, so there was that battle. There was just an ongoing battle for many, many years. I don't even know how to... To, I mean, that's just such a big conversation to have in and of itself. But there was a battle around what I was capable of and what I could do. And and then this this struggle that I didn't have any information about how to solve. Right. Mm -hmm. um, from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a conversation that, you know, so many of us can have in our own nuanced way, like, you know, str struggling with weight and like what what were what were some of the like the dumbest things you tried looking back. 
Oh, I did it all. Okay, so, um, you know, the extreme exercise, extreme exercise is one thing. Um, starvation diets, like I'm not eating for a week. Um, apple diets, I'm just eating apples for a week. Um, um, you know, of course, the whole, everything they teach you that's wrong about mm. no carbohydrates and high protein and, um, you know, all of that. I mean, I did all of that. So, you know, and I, and here's the thing is that I could never really, um, give up carbohydrates. You know, I, I just wasn't going to do that. And I also wasn't going to give up cheese. Mm. So it's really fun. Like I, when I was 16, I joined my first weight loss program. And, um, in that program, they, they allowed for, you know, cheese but you couldn't have carrots because carrots were high in sugar. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So um, so there's all this misinformation that I think really gets people tripped up. And it's hard to climb out of that when you, you know, it's indoctrinated into us to eliminate carbohydrates, right? And of course, that all played a role in the asthma, which I found out later. Mm. But it it just made matters much worse. Uh -huh. Yeah. And what, what in your mind what were your weight what were your goals for weight loss? Was it for performance or to fit in better? Like what was important to you about getting to a lean weight? Yeah, you know, uh it was the same reason it is for so many women and young girls. For me, I was a teenage girl. I mean, I was a teenage girl and I thought I, I you know, it was my self-esteem. It was the way I looked in clothes. It was what I could wear. And I wasn't even really that heavy. I mean, I wasn't ever really what you would call obese, but, um, you know, I struggled a little bit. Mm. I mean, and so why? I mean, it was just all of the things. It wasn't health. I never made the connection between health and my lungs and and wanting to lose weight. It was all about the ego at that time mm -hmm. as a teenager and and young woman in my 20s. It was all about how I looked. I would say that's that would be a very truthful and honest answer. Uh -huh. All right. So were the, the struggle continued into your 20s, even as you were this accomplished athlete? Yeah, I would say into my 20s and into my early 30s even and and it was around that time where I started to understand. So what happened was I was studying to become a massage therapist because, um, you know, it was just the whole fitness connection. And uh, I was in school at the West Coast College of Massage Therapy in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I was so fortunate that one day we started our nutrition um, program or our nutrition course. And my nutrition teacher for the whole semester was Brenda Davis. Oh, yeah. So I had a whole semester with Brenda and she really was the first person I ever heard talk about food in a different way, that food could actually play a role in healing your body, um, that it could it, it could help you not just lose weight. It wasn't just about the, the food groups and the Canada Food Guide or the USDA guidelines. It was more really about some foods that you eat can heal you and and improve your life and your health. And then other things that you eat that we may call food are really not 
not something that contribute to health. So that was the first time I heard that. And uh, I wasn't ready to make all the changes right away, but when I heard that, it definitely was um, a, a defining moment. Hmm. Now, you know, Brenda um, is an encyclopedia of, of, yeah. of knowledge. Yeah. Did she know anything about asthma? Was there was there data at that point? Because I, I don't until I, I, you know, started communicating with you, I didn't know of any. Yeah, there's really not very much. Um, and there wasn't at that time, at least she didn't she didn't seem to I mean, we never had that conversation, but she did talk a, a lot about dairy and dairy and its role with uh, type one diabetes and um, and cancers and heart disease. She she did talk about those things back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, but she was a, you know, a young woman at the time. She wasn't who she is now. She definitely had the same, you know, uh, beliefs and she was very determined and and as inspiring then as she is now. Uh, she was a young dietitian who believed in a vegan lifestyle. Oh. And and so she shared all of that with us. And it was remarkable. Hmm. Did, did that connect with your love of animals? It it did. Yeah. But here's the thing. Some people become vegan because of animals. And I think that I sort of put the pieces together once I understood the other side. The I, I you know, you, you can make a lot of excuses to eat the way you want to eat, <laughs> as you probably know. You know, it's really easy to not uh, make the connection. I call it the conscious wall of disconnect. Mm. So, you know, it's really easy to, to make excuses. I'm going to buy organic or um, my eggs will be free range or, you know, uh, whatever the story is. It's really easy to make those connections. I was never much of a eat, uh, meat eater, but I ate a lot of dairy and eggs. Mm hmm. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So what's what sorts of changes did you start making incrementally and what did you notice? So the first thing that I did was, you know, giving up meat was easy. Um, I was not ever a red meat eater. I did eat chicken. Chicken was the first to go. Fish was the last as far as the flesh. And then uh, and then when I had my children, that's when I did the, you know, the plant based nutrition certification through Cornell when my kids were really little. And at that time, um, I finally understood that we didn't have to be eating fish. And I, I remember telling my kids, OK, so you don't have to eat the fish anymore. And they were so excited to hear that. <sighs> but I also told them you know, we're not going to have dairy products in the house. And they were quite upset to hear that, as you can probably guess. But that's sort of how it went. So the dairy was the last to go. And, uh, and that's when I saw the biggest shift in the asthma. And I also have to say that giving up cheese was almost an instant answer to yo-yo dieting and, and, you know, the weight issues. So how was it hard for you? Did, did you find yourself, you know, craving or cheating? Or was it were you able to like, make this decision? You know, everybody's different. Some people give things up over time. For me, it was cold turkey. I never imagined a life without cheese. Honestly, it was just not on my mm -hmm. radar. 
but I knew what I needed to do. Part of the reason that I actually did it cold turkey was because my son, when he was four, was diagnosed with asthma. Mm. And the, the doctors told him he or told us he would need a, an inhaled steroid. And I just thought, you know, I know what we need to do. I had Brenda as a teacher. I know that this is the answer. And so we did it cold turkey. And within three days, the Ventolins were at the back of the cabinet collecting dust. We just didn't need them. And so, I mean, there's there's no bigger motivator. I mean, nothing could make me eat cheese after that. Mm. I mean, it was just so easy when you see those kinds of results. So was that was that like the moment you knew that your asthma was was food related after the three days? I was suspecting it for a while, you know, um, and from what I had read and from the work that I, you know, the, the work I did with Brenda uh, and I, I just Googled everything and researched and looked and there wasn't much out there, but there was enough to mm. tell me there was a connection. And so then that was the, the, the proof, right? The, the final proof was this incredible transformation in such a short period of time. And um, it was just so profound that we couldn't even imagine going back. Mm. And did, did you start to notice changes, not just the absence of, uh, of episodes, but in other ways? Like, yeah, so my skin cleared up the mental fog that kind of was hovering over me like a big gray cloud for most of my life <laughs> just lifted. I had clarity. And uh, I had energy, the energy skyrocketed. I've, I'm sure you've heard that a thousand and one times. And uh, I just felt so much better. I stopped getting sick. No more. Uh, I used to get pneumonia every winter. Mm. And I haven't had pneumonia. I haven't even had the flu in, in years. So everything got better. Everything got better. Mm. And, and like the first two things you mentioned, the, the the mental fog and the energy, I'm imagining that you didn't know that you had that you, you had problems with those because that was baseline. Right. right. That was baseline. I didn't know. I didn't know. I just knew I didn't have a great uh, sort of bandwidth for concentration or, uh -huh. you know, um, yeah. All right. So, yeah. all right. So I'm just I got asthma. I'm just a little ADHD. That's I'm a little chubby. I have skin problems. That's who I am. And you discovered it was it wasn't you. It was the, the bovine. That's right. That's right. And I want to add to that, too, that I was able to really do an experiment with um, what once I got the animal foods out, I could experiment with other things. So even it's interesting and people who have asthma might really relate to this. Even processed foods, so the more, more processed something was um, or is, that can even trigger the asthma. So I noticed things like artificial color, artificial flavor, MSG, um, and other, other sort of processed chemicals that go into processed foods uh, did make a difference. So it's really about clean, whole foods, plant-based. Mm -hmm. That's the way to go. Gotcha. So once you made that shift, were the uh, were there still episodes where, like, you know, something in the environment or cat dander or something just overrode it, or was that like was was removing the the offending foods enough to never trigger you into another attack? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So I was done. The asthma was over. It really was over. Um, and so, of course, we had a rabbit for seven years, which I used to not even be in the same room with a rabbit. I couldn't. I just couldn't. Um, I have two horses. I used to be allergic to horses. And uh, and that was all great. Now, a couple of years ago, we adopted uh, two puppies. And they are, their mom was a Great Dane, so they're really big and they're crazy. And, um, and I was fine with them. And I also got a little lax with, you know, have I, my kids are teenagers now, so there's more processed foods around. Mm. And when I get into that, the asthma, I can tell. I can tell that it's, you know, uh, plays a role. If my diet is really clean, I'm not affected by the dogs. If I let junk seep in, artificial color, artificial flavor, um, deep fried things like French fries or tortilla chips, uh, I can I can tell, I can notice the difference. Mm. And how, how about your son? You know, who's a a teenager and a bringer of junk food? Does he does he ever slip up and get another attack? Uh, he doesn't. He's done. He's he's free and clear. He does. Um, you know, my daughter is 100% committed vegan, plant-based. My son is what I would call vegetarian, and, and I would say vegan with the exception of pizza. Uh -huh. Yeah, and that really has a lot to do with he's a hockey player, okay. and there's a lot of that with hockey, right? Uh -huh. Pizza parties. But if he, if he limits it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, trigger him? No, not at mm -hmm. all. Right, so we're, talk we're talking about like... A dietary pattern, right? So that, like, you know, for, for sounds like for you, abstinence is really important. For a uh, a sixteen year old boy, you know, staying like staying ninety five percent is sufficient. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the fewer, I think, I think the earlier you begin, and the the you know, if you're not dealing with major disease early on you probably can get away with a little bit of that and be just fine. Mm. Uh, and maybe everybody's just different, right? Everybody has a different tolerance level or whatever that is. But he's fine and he can have uh, pizza once in a while and get away with that. I personally just don't even want it. Right. You know, I, I'm sure you can relate to that, Howard. You know, we get to a point where it's just not something that's even remotely interesting. Right, right. It's like, well, I could stick my finger over the hot flame for just a few seconds. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right. 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 It's like when mean? when we have that much experience of the negative consequences that we we start to connect them with the moment of pleasure itself, it kind of undercuts the craving. Right. Right. hundred percent. I mean, it's just this. There's nothing that could make me want to have any of that, you know, mm -hmm. and it just wouldn't be worth it to me. And, and it's not interesting anyway. And I guess the like, you know, Doug Lyle says the further away you get from the food in in, in terms of duration, the less mm -hmm. you're going to crave it, the less you'll want it. Right. So that mm -hmm. de definitely holds true with me. Right. So now in terms of your uh, career, your professional life, where you started out as a massage therapist? Yeah, uh -huh. a massage therapist, personal trainer, and a nutritionist now. I was a high school teacher, uh, and I taught, um, I taught high school for seven years. 
Um, and I, there were cutbacks in my town, so the population is shrinking, and I have a full schedule, and I really wanted to be a health coach. This was, you know, what it's like you, you just when you have a passion like this. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I left the che- teaching behind, and um, I started my, my company. So I help, I help women mostly in their 40s and 50s who are struggling in this way. So the people that I work with typically already understand the value of plant-based nutrition. And yet they have this added issue. And the issue is usually that they struggle to make it work or they struggle to make it uh, to make shifts in their in a new way of being um, that are are sustainable mm-hmm. and um, uh-huh. So they, they find you through like plant based groups. And so they're, and they're like, I know I should do this and I keep screwing up. Yeah, it's there's a lot of that. That's kind of a mantra I hear a lot. You know, I know what I need to do. I just can't do it. Uh-huh. So I, I just can't get going with it. You know, um, I can't make it stick. So, yeah, um, I run a summit every every year. Uh, in the past, it's been called plant-based transformation, and this past year, t- 2019, um, we shifted that. It's now called She Thrives Plant-Based Strong and Free, and so I get a great audience through through those summits, and we interview all of the the favorites, all of the amazing people out there who who are changing the world with a new way of eating, uh-huh. and uh, and that's. That's usually where my my um, my customers come from. Awesome! I'm making a note of that for my own business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what what do you see as your contribution to to you know? Because they've a lot of us in the you know in the movie we've been around. We've read this book. We've listened to this doctor. We've we've tried this diet. We've been part of this online group. Like, what what do they what do they get from you that helps them? Get over, get over that hump. So I ran a six-month coaching program, and that program is really, I mean, there is the nutrition component. You know, they get a, an education in nutrition. Uh, most of them already kind of pretty well know what to do. What they don't get and they can't seem to find elsewhere is that whole emotional piece, They they how to deal with um, the triggers and the self-sabotage and you know what it is that's really keeping them from from making it work. Why can't they lose weight and and never keep it off? Um, I I actually had a client. I have a client right now who sent me a picture yesterday of her feet on the scale, and it's the first time since 2016 that the scale was under 200 pounds. And um, I said, "How does that feel?" She said, it's awesome, of course. And she said, she said, I can't remember how the conversation went, but it was something like um, the and I asked, I know what it was. I asked her, when was the last time you saw the scale under 200 pounds? And she said it was in 2016, just very briefly. And then it was a dot, dot, dot. But this is forever. Mm. So it's about changing their mindset it's a mindset shift so it's behavioral change um instead of just following a new food plan and trying to get the food right so yes we have to get the food right that's critical and then we deal with this whole other piece which is really you know behavioral change 
um, emotional mastery and mindset. Mm -hmm. So if you could um, list like the three biggest wrong mindsets or unhelpful dysfunctional mindsets that your clients come in with, what, 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 what might they be? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Okay, so the first one would be, um, I would say people fighting for the limitations instead of the vision. And when I say that, I mean, um, they say they want this thing, they want it. And they, they say that, uh, but they can't because they can't because, you know, their spouse doesn't eat that way. They can't because the doctor said they have a condition, they have a disease, they have a limitation. So they fight for the limitation mm. instead of fighting for the vision. That's a big one. So we got to shift that. You know, you've got to start fighting for the vision and understanding that the obstacles are, that's easy. We, we just have to think differently. If the limitations are no longer obstacles, then you, you've just cleared the path, right? Mm. The other one is um, people not believing in themselves. They don't believe they can, or they look at stats. I had a client say, you know, she, she was over, she, I mean, she was very big lady, and she finally was getting there, you know, over 50 pounds um, lost and, and more, to, more coming. And um, she said to me, yeah, but, you know, this is great, but the stats show that mm. less than 2% of people keep the weight off, less than 2%. And so, you know, I had to remind her, um, I said to you, what you're doing, does this feel like a diet? She said, no. And that's the difference, right? So people have to get away from the dieting mentality. The dieting mentality is all about losing and then gaining it back because it's not sustainable. So I guess the second piece to that would be, um, you know, I, I tell my clients, ask yourself with every small change that you make, is this sustainable? Is this something that I can do forever? Mm. So when people come in and they're arguing for their limitations rather rather than their vision, it's easy to tell them, don't do that. Um, what what gets them to shift? What 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 is the internal work or the exercises or the practices that actually allow them to align more with the vision and see the obstacles as the you know the the game they have to win? So they need a strategy. So first, they have to understand that they most people don't know they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Most people don't realize that they're fighting for their limitations. So first of all, I identify that we have to identify that that's what's happening. You know, are you and I ask them, well, are you fighting for the vision or are you fighting for the limitation? And then, you know, sometimes we hear a yeah, but yeah, but, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. and and then, you know, when we get really clear on what are you fighting for, what do you really want? Of course, we do all the exercises, the big why and the vision you have for your life and all those things. But what is it that you really want? And why is this an obstacle for you? Because ultimately, when we start to shift and take when you fight for the limitations, you really you're, you're in a place of victim. You're a victim. Mm -hmm. And when you shift, when you identify that you are in victim mode or in victim status um, and you decide to take responsibility for your actions and responsibility for your life, then there's, there's, there are no more limitations. 
the limitations dissolve mm-hmm. because now you're responsible. You're no longer a victim of your circumstances or of your environment or anything. Hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question that I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to. But yeah, I might not. When when the women in their 40s and 50s discover that they don't have to be a victim in this domain, does that you know, spill over into other parts of their lives? Yeah, Howard, you know this. You know all about this. I know it. Um, yeah. So the old saying is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Right. So, yes, I mean, if you're this is just a way of being. If you show up for yourself in this way, it, of course, it, it affects every part of life. And in fact, the whole last section of my program is you stepping into your purpose and into a bigger vision um, and into your the, the real reason that you're here on planet Earth. Right. Fulfilling your destiny. And it's amazing how when you when you take charge, when you take your power back, when you are no longer a victim of your circumstances, you know, you can do anything. You can do anything. Mm-hmm. And to add to that, when you have your health and you're in charge of your weight and in charge of what you put into your body, um, you are empowered in every sense. And and the you know, conversely, when you you're struggling with your weight and you're preoccupied with your body and you're preoccupied with, you know, the, the cravings and the junk and all of that. Um, you can't get on with what you're really here to do. You can't get on with your life. So mm. that has to be taken care of. And then when you've empowered yourself with those strategies, you just use those same strategies and tools for the bigger mission. Mm. So, yeah, so I think we, you know, we, we have pretty much the same demographic. So like, yeah. like one, one thing that I'm curious about uh, for your for your crowd is like there's a certain simplicity to realizing you're not a victim of your genes or your geography. It's much more complicated if you feel like you're a victim of your your marriage. Right. Or your aging parents with whom you've never had a good relationship and you're mother always called you chubby or something like, you know, um, do you like do you find that that uh, that people have to you know sort of struggle with sort of reasserting themselves in relationship and sometimes there's those break? Yeah, you know, I we deal with this um, and do relationships need to break? They don't need to break, you know, personal development is everything. And if you're trying to work on your marriage, you really are working on yourself. If you're trying to work on relationships with others, you're really working on yourself. Nobody can make you eat a donut. Right? Mm-hmm. So when people say to me, you know, it's really hard because uh you know, my my husband doesn't eat this way or you know, the family's coming over and they're bringing Kentucky fried chicken or you know, it's it's really hard because uh, my family makes fun of me or they don't believe it. Um, and I'm all alone in this. Well, it's really hard if you say it's really hard. And I believe it's really hard. But, you know, my husband doesn't eat the way I eat. And, um, you know, my family members, some do, some don't. But we all get to make decisions for ourselves. You're a grown up. You can make a choice for yourself. And is it going to be hard? Well, it might be hard, 
Mm-hmm. It might be hard for a little while. And then it, everything is hard before it's easy. So, yes, are you a victim of your circumstances? If you allow it, if you allow it. Mm. So I think people need to, to surround themselves with community, somebody who is going to keep them accountable, um, getting a coach like you or like me. And then we can um, support one another in moving through those difficult times. Cool. So let's talk about the second one, so not, not believing in themselves. Um, this, like, how do you help some, like, you know, if someone believes that that's the edge of a cliff and they can't take a step and I can see it's not, they can, it's just a path, but they're like, the, like not believing in yourself is, feels to me like a, a map of reality. How, yeah, how do you help people? Do you need to get that? I do. Yeah. Okay. Unplug my phone. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So first of all, people have to have a certain amount of hope in order to step into working with a coach, right? They have to know at some level that something could be possible. Would you agree? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, just the fact of someone like signing up or, you know, giving me their credit card is like that, that, you know, that already has changed something. It has changed something. And there's this other thing, like when I was um, a massage therapist, I had people who came to me who would say, I have this issue, I have this injury, um, and I really need help getting, getting to the other side of it. I'm doing, um, I'm eating right, I'm doing exercises, I'm in rehab, whatever, and I need, I need some extra support. And those people always get well, right? They have the right mindset. And then there are the people who come to you and they say, fix me, mm. fix me. And so that in itself is that they don't have their power, like they haven't taken their power. So um, those, those are the people that are the hardest to work with because if they don't believe in themselves, um, they and they put all of their I mean, that's a lot for a coach to take on if you don't have any, any sort of belief that that things can get better. I mean, you're, you're, you're stuck. What what I find is, there is a there is a space of belief, but the better they do, it almost feels like a rubber band stretching. Like, it's almost like their success is proof of how bad the, the failure is about to become. Right. Right. Well, so, I mean, small, sustainable changes, right? So if somebody doesn't believe that things can really be different for them, can they make one small change that feels like it's, it's something they can stick to? And then maybe do, do they see a change? And if they do, then maybe they can take another small, small step. Mm. And it's not about whether or not they can or they can't. It's or, or if they can achieve this great goal or, you know, maybe we can break it down into just small tweaks, small changes. And I think the other really important piece to that is, you know, coming into um, facing a, a new way of being or, or stepping into change and knowing that this is uh, about progress. This is not about being perfect and having the best body and being an ultra marathoner or doing something extraordinary. It's about making a small change and then making another small change. 
until you've made enough small changes that you're transforming your health and your your well-being. Hmm. So, yeah, in a sense, in a sense, belief is kind of a red herring. Like, you know, you know, believing you can do something could be just as unrealistic. It's about, OK, as you said, let's let's do an experiment, make this small change and test your hypothesis. Right. So it, it becomes a matter yeah. of experience as opposed to what I what I have to believe. Right. Right uh, on. Yeah. Um, the third one you said was that like the dieting mentality is that sort of like I will do this until I achieve my goal and then I'll like this is a short term sprint as opposed to like what you asked that woman. Does this feel like a diet? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, for sure. And the people who who are I mean, you you can't do this. You can't change your life and be on a diet. Diets don't work. We all know that. Um, dieting mentality includes um, such, such, um, I guess, parameters that that make people feel that they're either successful or failures. And um, and I think that you know, changing small things and understanding that slipping up and not being perfect is just part of the journey. Um, is really the only way. It's just the only way. So if we can get over the dieting mentality, so I'm always on my clients about this because they come into my community, you know, with this mentality. They all have it. I'm, you know, weighing and measuring, um, um, you know, cutting things out 100%, like people saying, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a sugar problem, and so I'm not eating any sugar and, um, you know, that includes fruit. Well, <laughs> you know, let, is that sustainable? Because that's a dieting mentality. So sometimes people don't even realize they're doing it. They know they don't want to be in a dieting mentality, but they, they don't realize some of their behaviors are so cruel, so hard. Mm -hmm. It's just so not kind and compassionate to yourself to expect that from yourself, right? Yeah, well, like, you know, it gets it gets tricky. It can be tricky at the beginning because like if you say, oh, I'm going to eliminate sugar and you're thinking, you know, processed sugar like that can also feel like dieting like a like this. Like this has to be temporary. You know, like, you know, you go 21 days and you're like, oh, uh, this wasn't there was no nutritional requirement for sugar. Right. Yeah. But, you know, when people say to me, you know, I have a sugar problem, I, I crave sugar all day long and I try and I try and I can't quit. And I ask them, how much fruit are you eating? Uh, usually they're not eating enough fruit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, my my suggestion is eat more fruit and don't limit your fruit. Just have more fruit. See how that feels. Right. So like I have an oxygen problem. I, I keep needing to breathe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that that's that is a, um, you know, the sort of the, the, the pleasure trap kind of understanding um, right. that when, when when you can and it's, it's, it's one of the few things you can actually give to people. Like you said, you know, like you'll you'll tell them where they're, you know, a little bit off in their thinking. Like, I love the moment where people can understand their physiology and go, oh, I'm not broken. Right. Like I'm a normal or I'm a healthy organism in a messed up environment. Yeah. Yeah. 
People are so hard on themselves. They think there's something wrong with them. And of course, they're just, there's nothing wrong. It's just the, the, the pressures that we, and these, these impossible parameters they put on themselves to, to get mm -hmm. to where they want to go. Um, it's just really sad and it's just misinformation. And this idea that they have to be perfect. And if they don't, then of course, you know, they're off into left field for three weeks because they didn't, they had that morsel of something, you know, and, and so it's really, um, it's being a little bit more gentle and understanding, yeah, your physiology, yeah. there's nothing wrong. The body's yeah. doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So what, what do you tell people when they come back to you and they confess that they had that morsel and they, they didn't do what they were hoping to do? How do, how, yeah, how, so do you, how do you get them back? Well, I love that. I mean, I, I, I congratulate them for for doing it. So in fact, sometimes I tell people, depending where they are in the journey to practice, practice being imperfect, because the the culprit is not the chocolate cake at, you know, Susie's birthday party. <clears throat> the, the culprit is what did you do after you had the chocolate cake? Did you did you say, oh, well, I'll start again on Monday? Or did you just decide right then that the next thing that you have is going to be healthy? Mm -hmm. So it's really about uh, not getting derailed, right? Um, and and I also encourage people to make in make planned decisions about treats. So instead of you know telling yourself all week long that you've got the birthday party on Friday and you're not going to have the cake, and then you go to the party and you have the cake. Well, I mean, that it's this is really not about the cake. This is about how you feel about yourself. And so if you make a planned decision about that, you're going to go into that situation, have the cake, and then it's over and it's done. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, and you haven't damaged your self-esteem. You haven't lied to yourself. You haven't negotiated yourself out of, out of your plan, right? You've just set yourself up for success. And having that chocolate cake was actually successful because it was planned. It was not um, like, uh, you know, being in the moment and, and letting yourself down um, and making impulsive decisions about treats. Mm -hmm. Do you worry that people can abuse that notion and let themselves off the hook like, you know, three times a week or three times a day? Yeah, so um, yes, I, I don't really worry about it, but people need to know what that means exactly. So, you know, if somebody says, well, the family's coming for a, you know, um, a family gathering and we're going to have the whole weekend together. And so I'm just going to go for it all weekend. Well, that's not what I mean. Mm -hmm. that, that's, you know, I'm talking about a, a little, a little something, a little something that's that seems reasonable, like you're going to a birthday party. You know, we live in this part of the world. Now, our, our birthday cakes are always vegan. They're not necessarily, you know, healthy. But do I have a piece of vegan birthday, Chloe Coscarelli's chocolate cake on my birthday? Yeah, I have a little sliver. And then I get on with it. Then I get on with my, you know, proper healthy eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's I think that's just a conversation that we have to have with our clients. Okay, cool. So before we go, I want to talk about horses. 
Yeah. Because you mentioned uh, some something I can't even remember the thing, but it's like a cool way of working with horses. Yes, that's great. I'm so glad you asked about my horses. I have two horses. They're Spanish Mustangs. And uh, one is from the Pryor Mountains in, in Montana, Wyoming. And um, I have had people come retreats and, and private sessions here. Um, and what we do is really interesting. Um, we, we have people work with the horses in, um, in a way that is a reflection on themselves. So, for example, um, I'll have somebody, so I have a horse that's really great at side-passing a barrel on the ground. So people will stand, hold the horse, and I'll get them to ask the horse to side-pass over the barrel. And so... And what, um, what, is that, more, what does that look like? Can you, like, do they just sort of like, sort of prance sideways over it? Yeah, so it's about getting the horse to move sideways. So, so it's like dress, dressage people, sort of thing? It's okay. sort of like a dressage movement. So front feet are on one side of the barrel, back feet are on the other. The barrel's on the ground. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the horse will sidestep over the barrel. You just have to give her the right signal. And she's great at it. Okay. Well, when somebody doesn't really know what the signal is um, and they have to try to figure out the signal, it's really interesting to see what people do. And, you know, I'm sort of blowing it for anybody listening who, you know, might come and try this but the idea is that people will tend to do to try the same strategy over and over again and expect the horse to finally get it mm. so you know what i'm talking about howard if this is about doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results right and these are people who have done 73 different diets and they've that's always right. approached them the same way yeah that's right mm -hmm. so what are you really, you know, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. And so the, the key piece there is that the horse will do what you want. You just have to ask the right question in the right way. Mm. Um, that's just one of the things that we do, for example. So we do a lot of work. It's really uh, mirroring your own uh, behavior and what that teaches us about ourselves. Um, and, you know, there's a lot for a lot of people. There's a lot of um, interesting um, revelations about fear and comfort and confidence and just um, sort of peace and harmony within. So if you, if you're, uh, yeah, a horse will tell you a lot about you. Mm. I mean, there's so much to, to share about that. I could get, I could talk for hours about it. And, um, a horse will really mirror what it is you're thinking and feeling. Um, you know, you, if you've ever stood in front of a horse and they move into your space and you take a step back, mm -hmm. they're asking, they're actually asking you, are you the leader or am I? And the horse, as, as you being the other horse, the horse who moves his, fert, her, his feet first is not the leader. So if you're stepping back to allow a horse to come into your space, He's understanding that he gets to be the leader. Uh -huh. So there's just a lot of really interesting um, play and um, learning that comes along with working with horses. And we learn a lot about our own behaviors uh, in doing that. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, in the work that I do, I do a lot of, of work with people's nervous systems. And there are ways in which non-human mammals 
are so much safer for people to be around. Yes. Right. That there, you know, that there's the horse, you know, may be you know, asserting dominance, but it's never going to lie to you. It will never lie. You're right on. That's so true. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, that just I've seen so many people just, you know, whether it's dolphins or horses or dogs or cats, uh, that their nervous system gets to stop being vigilant. And, and they can now take in like reality. It's almost like the nervous system we were talking about earlier about that map of, of reality that isn't real. That right. When the, when the, when they're like around, especially a, a sensitive mammal, um, that it's also a, you know, a herd animal, a social being that for the first time they can kind of let in like, oh, like, you know, my dad is, is not abusing me anymore. Like I get to I get to you know, respond to the world in a way other than imminent danger. So true. There's so much information around trauma and animals, right? Mm -hmm. So um, and that whole piece is such an interesting piece. I don't know a lot about it, but I'm fascinated by it. And, you know, this this idea that uh, animals don't get stuck in trauma, they mm -hmm. can let it go. Their nervous system um, it is not always deregulated. Once they get through that fight or flight, they they're good. They're good to go. And and people aren't necessarily the same, right? They get stuck in in trauma. So they get stuck in the fight or flight or freeze. And if that happens when they're really young, um, that can really play a role in in how they behave with food as adults. So super interesting stuff. Yeah, you just give me a great idea because um, we're planning a retreat here near me and there's actually five horses in the, in the two paddocks next to the Airbnb. And like, oh. trying to, like I, I don't know enough about horses to uh, to integrate them into a, a health retreat, but maybe the uh, the, you know, the, sure. the owners do. Yeah, sure. I, I'm sure they would. I mean, they, a lot of people who work with horses or have horses don't really realize that they have this um, this knowledge, they just do their thing with their horses, right? Mm, right. But, yeah, yeah, be great. Cool. Well, we're, we're at the top of the hour. So I want to make sure that people who want to find you can do so. Where, where would they where would they look if they want to know more about you or uh, work with you? That's great. So um, my website is tigaholehealth.com. And Tiga is spelled T-A-I-G-A which is actually another name for the boreal forest, which is where I live up here in Canada. Okay. So it's health.com. And if anybody wanted to email me, it's just Margot, M-A-R-G-O-T, at tigaholehealth.com. Okay, great. And you've got a, I uh, was on your website, you've got a free course that people can just sign up for? I have, yes, I have um, th mini courses, uh, three-part video series uh, that are um, about, I guess, sort of 45 minute long um, video trainings that people can tap into. And um, I have a six month program as well. Mm -hmm. Is your program for individuals or group based? It's both. Uh -huh. So um, it's a combination. It's a group program um, and there's private coaching throughout. OK, cool. Yeah. So Taiga, T-A-I-G-A, TaigaWholeHealth.com 
margo at tigerholehealth.com. And people should check it out. You also have a a, a, a very um, non intimidating list of recipes. It's like like 15 or 20, which I think is, is a perfect number. So you know what, I have a, a theory about this whole thing. So many people say to me, it's complicated. And it's too much chopping and too much time in the kitchen. And as a mom and a non culinary type person, I'm on a mission to keep it simple. So uh -huh. <laughs> That's why the, the short list of simple recipes. Great. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a recipe on my side, it would, it would involve a can opener and a can of beans, I think. Yeah, for sure. So. I'm with you on that. Well, Margo, it's been delightful talking with you, getting to know you. I'm glad we got the Skype to work. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, so let's 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 stay in touch. I think our, our, our philosophies are maybe like 89, 92% aligned. So maybe there's some uh, some collaboration we could do along the way. That sounds like fun. I would love to do something like that. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again. and Take care. All right. Another one in the can. Isn't Margo cool? Taiga Whole Health is T-A-I-G-A wholehealth.com if you'd like to find out more about her work or possibly even work with her. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission, you can easily, freely, without spending any money, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to find out more about WellStart Health, just go to WellStart Health. If you want to find out more about WellStart Coach and become a coach, go to WellStartCoach.com. And if you'd like to join our Facebook group, it's Sick to Fit. The first thing you should do is just go to Amazon and download a free Kindle version of Sick to Fit, the book that Josh Lajani and I wrote. If you don't have any devices with a Kindle on it, you can still get it in a PDF form at sick2.fit, um, that's S-I-C-K-T-O dot fit. Or you can just order a hardcover from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, wherever, wherever fine books are sold. So not much garden news, except that we found another probably 25 pounds of sweet potatoes in a bed that we had kind of uh, left overgrown and uh, honestly left for dead. We thought the, the critters had gotten everything. But uh, Mia went out there as I was recording the introduction to this podcast. And then she showed me a five gallon bucket filled to the brim with sweet potatoes of all hues and sizes. So excited. In running news, I uh, just got back uh, a couple days ago from the Ultimate Frisbee Great Grandmasters World Championships in Sarasota, Florida, which is exactly as impressive as it sounds. Um, my team triaged or triaged, um, being aged and from the North Carolina Triangle. Get it? Haha. -ha. Um, beat seed. We came in eighth and we were seated ninth. We won a game. And we lost a couple of close games and we lost a bunch of games that weren't very close at all. But man, did we do a lot of running. And so yesterday and today, no running, just walking and letting my legs recover so that uh, probably tomorrow I'll do a light jog. And by Thursday, I'll be ramping back up looking for a race, maybe a marathon or a half marathon. Otherwise, continue track workouts and see if I can get faster for the spring ultimate season. All right, it's time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. Check out willridenour.com for more of his beautiful West African car music. 
And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Got a new one this week, so listen to the very end. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Klinovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rungs with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzik, Jeanette Bennett, Gila Sert, David Donnie, Hubler Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Jew and Carlo Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruthann Thunderwerk, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z. Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lindemann, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergen, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Berry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, and Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosalind, Ayat, Julie Langholm, Hedda Gardies, Susan Watt, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva L, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensi, Cheryl Lukowski, Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell. Kevin McCauley, Lewis Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lankwish, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casilla, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiBartino, Mike and Donna Karst, Dan Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Moulton, Trish Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Becher, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, and Sally Robertson. For your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barnes, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argentati, Jody Friesner, with Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon, Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Colm Hedegaard, Susan Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. 
Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dave McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Karts, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedable Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.